Chapter 5, Keeping the Main Thing the Main Thing God's Poetry You are God's poetry. This idea isn't from me, it comes from St. Paul. In his letter to the Ephesians, he writes, For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God has prepared in advance that we should live in them. In Greek, the word handiwork has a strong creative sense. It implies the care of a craftsman, an artist, a poet. N.T. Wright, a popular Christian author, explains this in his biography of Paul. Those who are grasped by grace in the gospel are poems in which God is addressing his world. And as poems are designed to do, they break open existing ways of looking at things and spark the mind to imagine a different way to be human. This final chapter is about living the Christian life. It's about embracing the good works God has prepared for us. It's easy to treat Christianity as a set of rules, a really long to-do list. By being in Christ, though, we place relationship before rules, and that's why the image of a poem is so helpful. Think of your favorite poem, if you have one, or if you like music better, think of that. The basic elements are the same from one work to the next. For poems, it's rhythm, meter, and structure, like in the case of a sonnet. For music, it's notes and chords and harmonies. That can sound so limiting unless you consider the incredible variety we enjoy in the poems we love or the music on our favorite playlists. Love is like this. Its basic elements are the same for all, but each of us lives this out uniquely. God's love for us prompts our response as his beloved. In that back and forth, we are being recreated and transformed by the master craftsman. As we consider how we live our lives in Christ, I place this before us. We are not just following rules. We're responding to love. And as we do so, our lives become great works of art. And what that looks like for you, whether you'll be a sonnet or a symphony, it's not yet known, but one thing is sure. If you are in Christ, it will be beautiful. That others may live. God made each of us with the capacity to love, to have compassion, to want to help others and care for them. We're moved by the needs of others, and when we see their needs, this stirs something in us. We think about them, we pray for them, where we see fit, we act on their behalf. We see a guide for loving in Romans 12, where St. Paul exhorts us, Let love be sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Anticipate one another in showing honor. Do not grow slack in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Endure in affliction. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the holy ones. Exercise hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Imagine if we did not rejoice with those we love when they rejoice, did not weep with those we love when they weep. Even Jesus did. He showed us the path of love and invites us to love his people with him. Christ says, this is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There is no greater love than than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
My cousin served in the United States Air Force as a pararescue jumper, where he would parachute in combat zones to provide aid to those injured in battle. And their motto is, these things we do that others may live. This could be a motto for the Christian life. Right now, we're not in positions to literally die for one another or risk our lives, but every day we're called to lay down our lives for others so that they may live. Not just live good lives on earth, but eternal life in heaven. We want them to know Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Every act of love we do, we are revealing Jesus Christ to those we are loving. Women bring life into the world in a powerful way through the bearing of children, but we also bring life in the world through our acts of self-gift. And that is the point of it all, to be loved by the Lord, to love Him in return, and to pour out our lives in love of our neighbor. Laying down our lives, giving ourselves without reserve. This is a tall order. Where do we even begin? Best to begin with the Lord. By surrendering ourselves wholly, freely to Him, we declare that Jesus is truly the Lord of our lives. He is worthy of having all of us, our hearts, our minds, our decisions, our dreams. He is not a greedy king who wishes to take from us, but He is a gentle Savior who, when we give ourselves entirely to Him, He gives His life entirely in return. Through this mutual gift of self where we give ourselves daily to the Lord and receive Him in return, we learn what it is to be loved and to love. We do this through our personal prayer, worship, fellowship with brothers and sisters, and in a particularly tangible way through receiving the Eucharist. Our self-gift isn't a way to earn God's love, but a way of responding to God's love. The feminine self-gift. Don't the ideals described here apply to everyone? Aren't men also called to surrender to Christ? Why all this in a book about being a woman of God? While it's true that all Christians are called to love as Christ does, the ways we love are marked by our femininity. Self-gift does not make us feminine, but it is a way that our femininity is expressed. Not only do women bear life, but then we nurture it, encourage it, and defend it. We can see these maternal characteristics in all of us, whether we ever become biological mothers or not. Men also nurture, encourage, and defend, but when a woman does it, it's distinct. Mary and Joseph both accepted an invitation to nurture, encourage, and defend the life of Jesus, but they lived it out differently. Joseph followed the Lord's leadings by dreams and moved his family from place to place to protect them. Mary made every place a loving home where Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Our spirituality as women is grounded in our physical reality. A woman receives and bears life within her body, and this act of self-sacrifice is total. Her body gives the baby's body everything it needs to live, physically speaking. On a spiritual level, we see a similar pattern. We are called to give life by laying down our lives. Sure, men lay down their lives too, but our way of doing so is innately different. I see something similar at work in the sacraments. Spiritual realities are revealed through what's visible and physical. 
so too our bodies give us clues about the distinct ways we bear life in the spiritual realm. Virtue and Maturity To love as Christ. This calls for daily growth in virtue and Christian maturity. On the cross, Jesus modeled what this looks like, a total gift of self. To follow him who is the way is to love God above all and our neighbors as ourselves. Sounds like a big to-do list here. Let's see, I'll need to grow in humility, faith, hope, fortitude, courage, meekness, and self-control, just to name a few. I hope you're smiling. I am. This is not about self-improvement. This is entrusting ourselves to our beloved Lord and Savior. He's not worried, so neither are we. We'll take it one step at a time. Sometimes we grow in virtue without even realizing it. We can look back on the past months or years and see the ways that we've become more hopeful or humble. Sometimes it takes a concerted effort to grow in virtue, but it's always worth that effort. Christian maturity comes when we root ourselves in God's truth. The second description that God gives of himself in John 14, verse 6, is that he is the truth. To grow in maturity in Christ, we must be rooted in who Jesus is. When we're able to see God for who he is, we're able to know the truth of who we are, and we can see the dignity and worth of all of our brothers and sisters. Christian maturity comes when we can operate out of that truth. What stands in our way? There are various obstacles that we face as we seek to receive God's love and to love his children. Women are going to experience these obstacles in a particular way. It's not lost on the evil one that we have feminine hearts and minds. I'm going to break up these obstacles in three categories. Distract, distort, and diminish. Distract. In this context, distractions are the things vying to be our top priority and hinder us from taking the time to invest in our relationship with Jesus and our brothers and sisters. We don't need to look far to find our first distraction. It's probably sitting next to you right now. It's our phones, more specifically social media. I can't think of one thing that has the ability to make us insecure, envious, distracted, and discontent more than social media. Sure, social media has its merits, but we cannot deny the obstacles it presents to us every day. There are a lot of things I could say about social media's effect on us, but I want to say this. Social media fuels our discontentment and allows us to live in a fantasy world where we can become consumed with thinking about the future or what we wish we had. What if we put out the fire that is fueling our discontentment and lived fully present in each moment? That's not a cliche to put on some tacky wall art. I'm saying that Jesus Christ is here in the present moment. Are we? What could God do in you and through you if you were less distracted? Pray about what boundaries you need on social media and find someone who can hold you accountable. The next distraction may be societal pressures, family pressures, friend pressures, any pressure that we experience that would say that something is more important than our relationship with God. Right now, as a college student, I'm guessing that the biggest area that you feel pressure in is school. It's easy to feel like our worth is defined by what we do and our success. We're bombarded with commitments and busyness. To suggest that it's okay to receive anything less than an A is sacrilege. 
I'm kidding, but isn't that our experience sometimes? The truth is that God is glorified when we do our best in our schoolwork, but our grades, scholarships, career opportunities do not define us. Distort. The examples that distort are those that may have elements of truth to them, but that have become distorted and or can distort our understanding of truth. I'm thinking, for example, of the feminist movement. There are many truths championed by modern feminism that we can all get behind. Women are equal in dignity to men. We are strong, capable, and smart. We deserve the right to vote and equal pay to the men who hold the same positions in our companies. We should not be discriminated against based on our gender. But there are distortions in the feminist narrative, too. As women, we should be allowed to desire marriage and motherhood. That's not a lesser than call. And it often seems like being feminine is also lesser in many types of feminism. We should be allowed to love the ways we experience our emotions, our complexities, our God-crafted intricacies. These are a cause for joy, not shame. We can see the goodness in our brothers and love who God has made them to be. If there's bitterness in your heart towards men or towards being a woman, bring it to Jesus. Give that to him. Allow him to show you the goodness of your femininity so that you can stand strong in it and defend it when necessary, but not be swayed by the anger that pervades our culture. Another place we see distortion is in so much of the media we consume. Social media, news media, entertainment media, it drives our culture. If we're not discerning about what we take in, whether through podcasts, books, accounts we follow, radio we listen to, we can be swayed away from a path to holiness. I find it helpful to ask myself, is the media I'm taking in making me a better Catholic Christian? I encourage you to do the same. I'm not saying media is bad, but only that it needs to be handled with care. Media can inform us and help us to see a bigger picture of our world. However, if our worldview is based more on our immersion in media than our immersion in God's word and church teaching, that should give us cause for concern. Diminish. There are obstacles that we all face in our hearts and minds. These are the internal obstacles that can diminish our ability to know our worth as women and to act out of that knowledge. These are natural challenges that we all face. Comparison. Why can't I look like she does? Why does everyone else seem to get more attention from men than I do? Why did that person get chosen for that leadership role instead of me? These thoughts of comparison can open the door to discontentment and bitterness. It takes intentionality to take every thought captive to obey the Lord, as 2 Corinthians says. When we're tempted by a thought of comparison, we can instead proclaim a truth about our identity in Christ. What is God doing in my life? We can praise God for how the Lord is working in our own lives and praise God for how the Lord is working in other people's lives. This is a testimony from Abby. Quote, Many battles that women face are battles that no one else will ever know about. They are battles of the mind that only a woman's closest sisters may know about and support her in. They are also deceiving battles that can easily become sinful thoughts if a woman chooses to dwell on lives, lies about herself or about her sisters. A battle I lost for many years was that of the lies of envy and comparison. 
As women, we desire to be sought after, to be delighted in. And before I knew that this delight came from the Lord alone, I would watch friends around me advance in life, and I did not desire to delight in their goodness. For a long time, I believed that my sister's success meant that there was less for me. But this is a lie. As I grew in relationship with the Lord, He slowly spoke to me that He not only created me to reveal a unique facet of His heart, but every woman and man around me was created to reveal something unique about Him as well. As I was able to claim this truth and become more authentically myself, I allowed the women around me to be who they were created to be. As my teammate Katie taught me, free women, free women. Insecurity and lies. Do I fit in here? My friends are closer to each other than they are to me. I have to earn others' love and God's love. My parents are disappointed in me. We all experience insecurities and lies, but we can recognize them for what they are. Lies. Bring those to God in prayer and ask the Lord to say what He sees. Vocalize the lies you face to your sisters. Allow them to shed light and truth on them. Pride. I don't need help. I can do this on my own. What I think is the right thing is the right thing. Other people are always inconveniencing me and my plan. Pride can sometimes be described as a good thing, what we might call self-respect. The pride I'm talking about here is the negative kind. In this sense, pride can lead us to be overly independent or reliant on ourselves. The goal of the Christian life is not to become more independent and self-sufficient. The goal is greater dependence on the Lord, a disposition of radical humility. Perfectionism and people-pleasing Related to pride is perfectionism. Other people will not respect me if I don't perform perfectly. I can't ask others for help. I can't let others see my weakness. If I don't say yes to everything, the people I respect and want to be valued by won't value me. How tiring are these thoughts? How tiring is it to live life this way? Sister, you can trust that you are enough and that God loves you and your imperfections. The only one we need to seek to please is God, and we do that by simply remaining close to Him. He is so pleased with you. Fear and anxiety. God does not have my good in mind. If I trust Him, I'm going to be disappointed. God is holding out on me. I'm never going to get a good job. I'm never going to find a boyfriend or get married. When we experience fear, Satan can tempt us to just stop and be paralyzed in it. This stops us from making decisions for the Lord and undermines our trust in Him. Satan doesn't want life for us or for others, but God has abundant life for us. Scrupulosity If I don't have it all together, God will not want me. If I do sin, I'll lose God's love and the people in my life will no longer trust or respect me. Our scrupulosity denies God the ability to have mercy on us. This is one reason repentance is so powerful. We're not just admitting our sins, but we're accepting God's great mercy. Believe this, your Father is all-powerful. Your weakness is not greater than His strength. He can and does save you by His power. 
You can live this freely as you accept the gift he is constantly offering, his love and mercy. These obstacles and attacks in our womanhood are real, but remember who wins the battle. Romans 8 says, In all these things we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is all-powerful, and in the power of the Holy Spirit we have been equipped for battle. Our identity gives power to overcome obstacles. If it's true that we are God's family, that we are God's daughters, that means that we are powerful. I don't often feel powerful, but I am. Our identity as God's daughters elevates our dignity. A priest told me once that I should pray about how God is a king and what that makes me. And I've heard all of the cliche women's talks about being princesses, but that language has honestly been a total turnoff for me. I took this priest's advice, though, and I thought and prayed about if God is king, what does that make me? It was a powerful moment for me. I, in fact, am royalty because God is. You, sister, are worthy and powerful. He did not come into the world, die for you, and rise again for you to remain a victim of the obstacles that you face. The same power at work when Jesus rose from the dead is at work in your life. Jesus says to you, as he said to the little girl in Mark 5, Little girl, I say to you, arise. God gives us everything we need to overcome the obstacles we face. This doesn't mean that the obstacles will go away, but he gives us grace and wisdom to stay rooted in him. So, what can we do? Reflection. I've previously mentioned the importance of examining our hearts. It's helpful to recognize our tendencies, our insecurities, and the lies we believe in order to offer them to the Lord. Prayer. We cannot truly understand the inner workings of our hearts without prayer. We come to know who we are when we're in God's presence, committing and recommitting and recommitting to prayer. Daily personal connection with the Lord. It doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be eloquent. God just wants you with him. And plan. As we're reflecting and growing in our prayer lives, there may be specific areas that we see a need for healing or growth. It can be challenging to see these things and not know what to do next. I encourage you to invite Jesus into these areas and needs and ask him to speak to your heart and guide you as you make a plan. To get some ideas, you may want to ask others how they've grown in certain areas or sought healing. A couple examples could be, I want to grow in humility, so I'll commit to doing acts of service without anyone knowing. Or there's a painful memory from high school that keeps coming up. I'm going to share it with my small group and ask them to pray with me for healing of that specific memory. I'm going to ask God how he felt when that painful memory happened. And support. We're not meant to live the Christian life alone. Don't be afraid to seek counsel from trusted sisters. Take advantage of the gift of having a small group leader or a pastoral leader. If there are bigger things that you want to work through, meeting with a Catholic counselor can be incredibly fruitful. Find sisters that you can run with 
who can encourage you and hold you accountable to the ways you're seeking to grow. God is with you. You are God's poetry. Remember, all that we've shared in these pages is an invitation to participate in a uniquely creative work of God. And that work is you. As sisters, we remind each other of this truth, which is so easily forgotten, that God is making something of your life that is eternally beautiful and abundantly life-giving. Our vision is too small. His designs are beyond imagining. Only in heaven will we grasp the full picture. Here and now, if we're being honest, it doesn't feel that way. That's why we need sisters. That's why we need community. Among friends who live the faith, who love us as we learn together, we can draw strength and restore vision. Here we come to see the beauty that is hidden in each other and in ourselves. Here we become more fully that masterwork God has created us to be. God is constantly inviting us to him. He says to you, I am here. Satan wants to use any and every one of these obstacles and more to make us think, as he convinced Eve, that God's holding out on us and that our lives are better in our own hands. I can tell you from experience, as I'm sure you can too, that my life is not better when I'm trying to control it. No, I am a daughter of God and I can trust him. The purpose of my life is not merely my own happiness or fulfillment. I am made to love And when I love, others receive life. This, my sisters, is the potential that my parish priest was talking about. So I say to you, Satan fears the potential of women like you because women like you bring Jesus Christ to the world.